in Bombay, a freedom radio appeared. It was known as the ghost radio from where every day broadcasts about the happenings in the country used to be made. Uh, it was called uh, the Congress uh, radio. And um, uh, the radio itself uh, kept on shifting from place to place so that uh, the government was not able uh, to trace it with the various electronic devices that were brought into play uh, by the police and the CID. And if they located it uh, once on Malabar Hill, by that time it had been shifted to Kalbadevi and if it was, they uh, followed it to Kalbadevi, meanwhile it had been shifted to Girgam and so on. The Freedom Radio, the Ghost Radio, the Congress Radio. Together, these three names describe the different missions and identities of India's first nationalist radio station. It was the secret, anti-imperialist voice of the Indian National Congress, the biggest and most important organization resisting British rule of India. But almost nobody knew anything about the station. Where was it transmitting from? Who was behind it? Most importantly, with the authorities on its tail, how long could it keep it up? The Congress radio calling on 42.34 meters. The station was hidden from authorities and constantly moving. Its operators were young, inexperienced, idealistic, and wanted by the state. But in the tumultuous, tense fall of 1942, when Mahatma Gandhi and the entire leadership of the Congress party were in jail, when the British censored and cracked down hard on any resistance to imperial rule, when the country was squeezed by famine and hardship as a battlefront in the war, the Congress radio managed, in the words of one of its founders, to tell the people what was actually happening. This is its story. To understand what the Congress radio was, it's important to understand where India was at the start of World War II. When the Second World War broke out, India was declared to be a belligerent country, much against her own wishes. The leaders resented this very much, and so did Mahatma Gandhi, the father of the nation. That's Ushamata. This interview, held at the Cambridge University Center of South Asian Studies, was recorded in Bombay in 1969. Mehta died in 2000, at the age of 80. But on August 8, 1942, the day she came to the Golwalia Tank Maidan in Bombay to hear Mahatma Gandhi speak, she was just a 22-year-old student activist. Ever since the start of World War II, when the British Viceroy of India declared that India would fight in the war without asking the Indian people or the Indian leaders, public anger against the British had been growing. Now. Almost three years later, and with no end to the war in sight, hundreds of thousands of people had gathered at the Golwalia Tank Medan in Bombay to hear what Gandhi had to say. His message was historic. On that day, Gandhi declared that the British had to quit India, and the Indians had to do or die in resisting imperial rule. It was the beginning of the Quit India movement. Gandhiji had told us that uh, the motto that we should follow is do or die and that it is quite 
possible that all the leaders might be arrested and therefore each one will have to act as his or her own leader and find out activities which they can undertake on their own. That's Sushamatha again. If her voice sounds a little bit different, it's because this time she is speaking in an interview conducted in 1988, 19 years after the other. This story makes use of audio from both interviews. The reaction to Gandhi's speech was enormous on both sides. By the next day, the British had jailed 60,000 Indians, including Gandhi, Nehru, and almost all of the rest of the Indian National Congress leadership. The city of Bombay erupted in protest, with hundreds of thousands taken to the streets. But with almost every important leader in jail, the structure of the Congress movement had disappeared. If the movement was going to survive, it was going to need new workers, new leaders, leaders like Mehta and her friends. They came mostly from families with means and education. Mehta's own father, for example, was a government servant, a solid, middle-class position. Their lives would be comfortable whether or not India gained independence. Yet many young people, like Mehta, had been going to demonstrations and marches ever since they were 11 or 12 years old. They had grown up with the nationalist movement. They were willing to risk their privilege for freedom. Now the Congress needed their help more than ever. So Mehta, and hundreds of young people like her, went underground, working for the movement while living in secret. When the press is gagged and all news banned, our transmitter certainly helps a good deal in furnishing the public with the facts of the happenings and in spreading the message of rebellion in the remotest corners of the country. Our perusal of the history of the past campaigns had convinced us that a transmitter of our own was perhaps one of the most important requirements for the success of the movement. This was the origin of the Congress Radio, India's first major underground radio station and the voice of a free India. Radio broadcasting had existed in India since 1927, but the government had kept a tight grip on the technology. Older nationalist leaders had not challenged the government monopoly over radio, but the younger generation had other ideas. The plants came together quickly. Mehta and her colleagues raised the money necessary to begin work. Her two most important colleagues were Babu Bhai who suggested the idea of creating a radio station, and Vithal Bajaveri, a Congress activist and, at 28, the oldest in the group. Together they contacted an acquaintance, a man named Nariman Printer, to build the first transmitter with parts bought from Bombay's famous Chicago radio company. By the 13th of August, 1942, the transmitter was ready to go. They began broadcasting the very next day. The announcement was, this is the Congress radio calling on 42.34 meters from somewhere in India. This announcement was almost the realization of a long-cherished dream for all of us. Our radio was not one only in name. We had our own transmitter our transmitting station, our recording station, as also a call sign and a distinct wavelength 
of our own. Minuscule in size, the Congress Radio is global in its broadcasts. To write the content of the broadcasts, Metha sought out the help of Dr. Ram Manohar Lohia, an older leader who had escaped arrest. Working together, they designed broadcasts that not only informed Indian listeners, but represented the Indian nationalist cause to the world. Nearly every imperialist exploit undertaken by Britain in the East was financed out of Indian resources. Between 1858 and 1914, no less than about £65 million were spent on wars and military expeditions for which India had to foot the bill. The Congress radio connected people all across India with news that would be suppressed in the press or in the official broadcasts of All India Radio. Now we shall give you some very sensational news from Jamshedpur. Detailed reports of the mass resignations of Jamshedpur policemen have now reached us. Immediately on receipt of information, the Inspector General of Police, Bihar Government, arrived in Jamshedpur and had the half a dozen police lines in the city surrounded by the military. It didn't take long for word to spread about the broadcasts, and the Congress radio soon attracted a large national and international audience. India itself had fewer than 100,000 licensed radio sets during the war, but the thirst for war news boosted radio listenership immensely. Large groups of people would gather around a radio owner's home during the evenings to listen to the differing stories given by the BBC, the Germans, the Italians, and so on. The Congress radio was added to that mix, and the more popular the Congress radio became, the more it spread its nationalist message, the more the government wanted to see it destroyed. Correspondence between the Bombay Station Director of All India Radio and the Government of India's Home Department, now held in the National Archives of India, shows that the government became aware of the station on Sunday, August 16th, just three days after it had launched. By the next week, the hunt was on. Here is Anand Kanekar, a nationalist who worked with the Congress Radio to produce records. We used to meet sometimes on the round at places fixed at the last uh, moment and had just escaped twice or thrice being rounded up because the police were too late in raiding that place or sometimes they were too early in uh, raiding those uh, places. Though the Congress radio only claimed, vaguely, to be broadcasting from, quote, somewhere in India, the police and CID investigators, akin to American FBI agents, on the case, knew that the station was transmitting from Bombay. The police had come to know about this. So they used to put the detecting van in the city. And that detecting van could give them the direction from which messages were being transmitted. But that time they did not have a powerful machine which would give them the exact location. So they will get a radius of two or three miles. But before they could catch us, we would use to shift. Metha and her co-conspirators, five to seven people total, did everything they could to protect themselves and the station. To reduce risk of detection, the broadcasting location was kept separate from the recording location. Only the broadcasters closest to intimates knew about their involvement. They moved the transmitter, concealed in the backseat of a car, from flat to flat in the middle of the night, or in the hours before dawn. The Congress radio nevertheless seemed to be succeeding in keeping itself hidden. 
Again and again, government agents would narrow the station's location down to a one or two mile radius, only to find that the station had just left the area. The chase became an object of fascination for ordinary people in Bombay, who marveled that the station hadn't yet been shut down. Here is J.N. Sahini, a prominent journalist who tried to find Congress Radio himself. He got the address from a nationalist friend. And um, as I went, I found the place uh, fairly empty. I thought I was being bamboozled or something. And then one of these persons came up to me and said, uh, are you um, trying to find uh, where's the radio station? I said, no, I didn't want to commit myself. I said, no, I just wanted to find this address. He said, don't be silly. That station has been removed for the last eight days from here. We are CID men. So, you see, <laughs> so if you are finding that, we don't know where it has gone. We are also in search of it, but it has gone from here. But in the end, betrayal came from within. During the first and second weeks of November, the Bombay police systematically raided the city's most important radio shops. One, the Chicago Radio Company, happened to be where Mehta and her colleagues had first bought the parts for their transmitter with the help of Printer, their technician. In the records kept by the Chicago Radio Company, the police found Printer's name. And on November 13, 1942, Printer reappeared in their lives, this time with a band of police detectives in tow. So one fine afternoon, when, as usual, I was typing out Dr. Luya's speech for that evening in Babubai's office. Mr. Printer came there with a group of CID officials. They entered Babubai's cabin and just <coughs> to caution me, Babubai shouted at the top of his voice that we do not know anything about Congress radio. We are the least concerned with all that. That was another lie that we had to tell. And if you want, you are at liberty to search my whole office. Metha knew she had taken a risk when she hired Printer to build their transmitter. In a 1968 interview, the transcript of which is now kept at the Narrow Memorial Museum and Library in New Delhi, she recalled that he was the only one who knew a great deal about the station who was not also a dedicated nationalist. But he didn't seem to be against the Congress either and he was a good technician. So even when the police came in, she didn't suspect the printer had betrayed them. So immediately I switched over and I mean, I began typing something else. I removed all the files that we had kept there and went in and asked Babubai as to what I should do so far as mother was concerned. That was our code language issue. He said, you please go and tell doctor. Or if he comes to you, then also you can tell him that today I might not be able to come. And he can either change the prescription or continue the same, I leave it to him. The police were naturally curious to know what all this was about. And he said, this is my neighbor's doctor. There is no male member in her family and her mother is ill, so she does not know what to do and it is only I who look after both of them and with the doctor it's only I who talk. So they said, all right, they did not suspect me and therefore from there I immediately went to 
the recording station where we so where Dr. Lohia, Achyut Patwardhan, Vittal Bhai, Harris Bhai and others were there busy recording for that evening's program. Then they were very happy to see me. But I said, please do not be happy because I have come with very bad news that Bahubai's office is raided and there is every possibility of our radio station also being raided this evening. So they said, what shall we do? I said, I have come to ask you what we should do. They said, we want your advice because you people are the real workers. I said, whatever happens, the work must go on. So they said, that is the spirit, the work must go on. So I said, all right, it will go on. Metha had a head start on the police. She, and most of her colleagues, could have fled, abandoning the station before the police could come shut it down. But over three months, the Congress radio had not missed a broadcast. As Metha recalled, people across the country, but especially in Bombay, used to wait for the clock to strike 7.30 to listen to the Congress radio's broadcast. It was now evening, and the sun was setting. Metha had decided that the show had to go on. So she told her colleagues that the police would be there soon, and asked another colleague to help prepare a second transmitter, just in case. Then she went home to visit her mom. So I took the key, then went to my residence, told my mother that I am going to the radio station and I may not come back. That night, Metha put on the program, waiting for the police to show up. Finally, at the end of the show, when Vande Matram, the song that would become Independent India's national anthem, was playing, they did. We heard hard knocks on the door and the deputy commissioner of police, his military technicians and his troop of 50-odd policemen smiled and smiled triumphantly when they were able to break open three strong doors. I must have destroyed one or two records, but nothing could be done. And when the police came in, the first thing that they told me was, who is operating this? No answer. I did not reply. Then they said, please stop this record, one day matra. Then I said, it will not be stopped. You stand on attention, because that was our national anthem then, national song at least. And they did stand on attention. All of this drama could be heard, albeit faintly, across the country. Metha recalled that she wanted to grab the microphone and announce what had happened. She wanted to name Printer, whose face she saw now again with the police, for his betrayal. But before she could do so, Printer himself grabbed the fuse that was powering the transmitter and tampered with it. The program was over. The room was dark. Immediately, there was darkness everywhere and the police were afraid that perhaps we would escape. Nothing of the sort, however, happened because Bapu had taught us to face the consequences of our act. From and there was, this place of ours was on the third floor and on every step of all the floors there were two policemen if not one. And 
this so i told chandrakant bhai i said look brother i do not know whether in our life we will ever get a guard of honor but this is certainly a guard of honor for us uh-huh. so he said yes you are right and we are very happy the night of november 13th marked the last broadcast of the congress radio the second transmitter which meant that hope might keep the station going was never built and in any case there would have been almost nobody left to run it for methander colleagues met with the same fate as their hero mahatma gandhi after spending 5 months in jail methander colleagues babubai kakar vithalas javeri chandrakant bai javeri and nanakji motwane who worked at the chicago radio company were brought to court in april 1943 the charges leveled against us were possessing establishing maintaining and working illegally a wireless telegraph and apparatus appertaining thereto the trial went on for full 5 weeks and the sentence came in may for the 3 months she spent broadcasting metha was given 4 years in prison two of her colleagues walked the police didn't have enough evidence the rest of her colleagues received between 1 and 5 years in jail Metha stayed in jail until 1946, well after the war had ended. Indeed, she spent more time in jail than almost all of the people arrested on the fateful day after Gandhi's speech. Gandhi himself was released in 1944, and when he emerged, the freedom struggle was back in full force. Consequently, on the day of Metha's release, the Congress movement was anything but underground. Now you should see the day I was released. I mean, it was such a thunderous reception for me. There were crowds and crowds and crowds of people in the uh-huh. Victoria Terminus Station uh-huh. to receive me. And even in the press and after that also, I mean, the response, the people appreciated this work very, very much. Uh-huh. So we were very, very happy and those were really... Even now I feel that they were golden days and unforgettable days, the happiest days of our life. You must have felt like pioneers. That's right, I don't know.